Sport Calgary conducts research into sports issues in our city. Did you know the gross municipal amateur sport product in Calgary is over $1.2 billion per year? Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Hey, kids. Uh, how you holding up? How you doing? It's uh, almost the end of June, early July, if you can believe it. Things are beginning to, to turn, I would say. We've got to be careful. Got to keep the social distancing, keep washing the hands, be responsible. But maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of uh, sunshine on the outlook. Uh, and as a result of that, just a reminder, we're going to um, we're gonna cut back here uh, in July and August to once a week. We'll have a new podcast every week. And then we'll look at the fall. We'll probably ramp it up a little bit more again. Uh, can't believe that we've already done 50, 55 around that podcast by the time this one comes out, um, which just started as a way of us... You know, keeping people occupied and, and hopefully distracting some people right in the, the throes of the pandemic. Right at the beginning, people were looking for something, you know, something to ease their mind and uh, were binging and all that. So we thought, well, well what the heck? Why don't we do a, a podcast that's Calgary related about sports in Calgary, about sports people in Calgary and tell some stories. And it's been a wild, wild journey since then. So glad you can uh, join us. I am Rob Curry, your podcasting pal. Um, great podcast for you to tune in today. Uh, we have a legend, a living legend, uh, as uh, our guest on the original Six Feet Conversation podcast this week, currently is a member of the Calgary Police Service, currently is a brand spanking new mom to boot, um, and she's really excited about that, and rightfully so. But you might know her as Canada's most decorated Olympian in a Winter Olympics and tied with Clara Hughes as the most decorated uh, Olympian of all time. Uh, She has six medals to her name, a gold, two silver, and three bronze. Five of those came in Torino 2006. Of course, I'm talking about Cindy Clausen, a fantastic long track speed skater, but another story. And I hope you're picking up on this because I think it's fantastic. Another story of an athlete who, within the span of a quadrennial, started a sport and won a medal. So within four years, well, why would I take away from the story? That's coming up. I'll let Cindy, in her own words, explain it to you. Uh, So just before we get to Cindy, just a reminder, if you're tired of searching dozens of websites for local sports events, visit sportcalgary.ca and find hundreds of local events, everything from community gatherings to summer camps to tournaments. I am so happy to be able to make that announcement. We weren't making it for a while there, but now things are turning. So uh, I think it's appropriate. So let's do this. Let's jump in with both feet. One of the all-time great. She's got money. She has money made about her. Uh, well, and again, another story we'll let Cindy explain. Cindy Clausen is our guest here on the original Six Feet Conversation. How Okay, when I started this podcast th- three months ago, Cindy, the first question was always, so how are you holding up? What are you doing? Um, that doesn't seem appropriate anymore. So maybe just a thought on uh, how have the last three months been? How has life evolved for you and your family? Well, actually, the last three months have been kind of exciting for me because my husband and I just had a baby in January. So it's been all about her, like yeah. just um, seeing her grow and just um, it's just been so exciting to be a par- to be parents and so rewarding. And so our focus is basically all on her. And I mean, the pandemic is going on and it's been it's been tough just because, I mean, you don't get to see as many people. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's. I mean, I've mostly been staying at home anyway, just taking care of her, going for walks and stuff like that. So um, it hasn't been that crazy. So you get that time that that some parents might not have. So I need to ask you this. Was what everybody told you about motherhood correct? Did anybody lie to you? Did you get any bad information? (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I, I don't think so. I think a lot of it was pretty like bang on. Um, one of the biggest things I remember from when I was a lot younger, when I was probably still living at home with my parents, my mom said that when she had kids, like she really learned about what being selfless is all about. And I hundred percent, I agree with that. Like it's, it's not about me anymore, especially like being an athlete where, um, where I used or be used to being an athlete where yeah. everything was about yourself, getting the right training, right diet, right enough sleep and stuff like that. It's all about you. 
And then once you have kids, it's all about them. And my time isn't my own anymore. And it's, but it's awesome. Like, it's just, it's been such an incredible journey and I feel so blessed. Is there a parallel? It's funny you bring up time though. Is there a parallel to being a, a you know a new mother to being a high performance athlete in terms of the way you have to organize your time and the and the demands on your time? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the mental part of it. There's a huge part of that because I mean, I feel like as an athlete, you have to be mentally tough, and being a parent, you definitely have to be. You have to have that mental aspect of it um, because some days are just really are, are really difficult. I mean, nothing's going right, but I mean, you know that uh, tomorrow's another day, and uh, you're just doing the best that you can, and uh, and your love for your kids is is just tremendous, and so um, that's what kind of carries you through. And just like in sports, your love for the sport um, that carries you through, and uh, and so I think there's a little bit of parallel there for sure. Did it take you long to get back and being active? It it took a little. I mean, I took. I think. I think it was about six weeks that they recommend that you just kind of take it easy before you start getting active again. And uh, and then I was just like kind of going for walks and stuff like that. Um, but it was kind of it was kind of tough. It's also really hard to like fit that time in now trying to figure out like when I can actually get some exercise in. Yep. And uh, I found it really interesting that, I mean, in the past, like say if I had like four or five hours to get a program in, I could think like, Hey, I'm going to do it in the third hour. I don't feel like doing it right now. I'll do it in the fourth hour. And now it's like, if you have that tiny window, <laughs> it's, you got to go for it. You don't have time to think about it. You just have to go and do it. How, what, what's your observations of your husband? How's it changed him? Oh, he, you know what? He's exactly how I kind of imagined he'd be as a father. He's just so loving, so caring. And I just love like seeing him play with her and, uh, and like holding her and just the love that he has for her. Um, It's uh, I, that's, I kind of figured he'd be like that. And uh, I guess, I guess he's exceeded my expectations just being uh, such a loving father. And it's, uh, it's been amazing seeing that. how excited he is um, watching her grow and, uh, and just what an adventure it's been for him too. We're obviously ahead of the game here because we are talking about a newborn, but you're a, you know, you're an Olympian. Um, you've been through the high performance. What's the, what's your mindset when it comes to athletics? What's your mindset when it comes to sport as a, a parent? What, how, right now, how do you feel about it? And what, what are you planning on? How are you planning on carrying it out? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, I, I mean, when I was going through sports, it was, there was so much pressure like that I put on myself. And, uh, and I just, when I think about my daughter going into sports, I just want her to have fun. Like I, yeah. And to be honest, like, I don't care what sport she picks. And I don't care if she's even in organized sports. I really, I just want her to be active. Mm-hmm. I want her to be happy. Um, I want her to be going outside and, and playing with her friends. Or I just remember when I was growing up, we were always outside playing street hockey or like riding our bikes around and stuff like that. And I know that in today's day and age, there's a lot of kids that are just sitting at home and like playing video games or watching TV and stuff like that. And so that's just my biggest wish for her is that she's going to love being active and wanting to go outside like enjoying the outdoors. And, um, if she gets involved in organized sport, that's awesome. And, uh, I'll be, I'll be her biggest cheerleader, but I also don't want her to have that pressure. Like she has to perform or anything like that. It, it's an interesting time, isn't it? In the sense that, you know, compared to when you were a young pl- person or I was a young person, there's probably more opportunity for now than there ever has been before. But boy, there's also some scary numbers that, you know, we're not seeing kids in sport like we used to too. Right. Yeah. Um, and especially girls, it seems like if you don't get involved in sports early, then there's a good chance by, I think it's, I think if it's, if by 10 years old or something like that, if they're not involved in sports, then they're probably not going to be active as they get older. And so, um, so I really hope that she finds that love for, for something like just some kind of Mm -hmm. activity that keeps her physically active. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so different. There are, like you said, there's so many more opportunities. Like when we were younger, 
I feel like it was just, um, well, there wasn't many girls playing hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was the one of like, I was the only one on my team that was a girl, but it was kind of like hockey, soccer, um, baseball, things like that. But there was now like, there's so many different sports that kids can choose from. And it's pretty exciting, but uh, I do hope that she does get that bug and, and does like being active. So, so let's go back. So when you grew up, you grew up in Winnipeg, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Was it ever in doubt? Were you right from day one? Were you active? Were you an athlete? How did it work for you? Yeah, I think it was my dad that really, he was always like, so I have um, a brother and two sisters and my dad was always involved with us, like playing outside, playing the street hockey, mm-hmm. um, out to teach us how to skate. Um, he just loved playing with us. And so we were involved in sports from a very young age. And um, I think just, oh, I guess uh, <laughs> what happened was, um, this is how the story goes, but how I got involved in hockey was my dad, because all of my friends were mostly boys when I was growing up. Yep. And that's how I started like playing hockey, street hockey and stuff like that. Um, and the story goes that my dad took me to a hockey rink or a rink where people are playing hockey. And then one where um, there's girls playing ringette. And he said, what do you want to play, hockey or ringette? And he said, you can play hockey with all of your friends or you could play ringette with girls that you, you probably don't know or anything like that. And so <laughs> I just picked hockey. And I think that he just loved the sport so much. He was really hoping that I would pick hockey. And so um, that's how I ended up in hockey. And uh, and then at the time, yeah, there just there weren't many girls. I think I played boys hockey until I was 16 and there was like one other girl in the league. And so it was always with the boys. Right. Um, so where did you fit in the uh, pecking order in the family? Where, where... I was the firstborn and then so my you... brother. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So never forced to be the goalie because you were the youngest. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody in our family was, I think people like, I think that some of us actually like being the goalie. We got some pads. Like, I mean, there were cheap pads, but we kind of enjoyed being the goalie. So, uh, but none of us ended up being goaltenders. We always, uh, I think my brother and um, my second sister or my first sister, she, uh, she played hockey, but then the rest of my youngest sister, I think she played ringette. Okay. So you mentioned street hockey a couple times. I got to know how, how, organized how much did you guys play like it it almost seems like a lost sport in Canada when we were growing up it was every weekend and after school was it was it that way for you yeah for sure as soon as we got home from school it's like we got on the it was usually on the driveway actually but just called street hockey and, yeah, yeah. and we put nets and start playing a game our friends from like the neighborhood would come over and and then also in the winter, um, I had one friend who he had a backyard that was big enough to have a rink. And so we'd always go to his place to go play ice hockey. And unless we we're going to the community centers and you you could always go to the community center and play a game of pickup. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter who you were. Um, if you're a girl or a boy, like people just, they're like, yeah, come on in and play. And it was just awesome. Like such a great sense of community and um, just to be able to play a game and it didn't matter your talent or anything like that. And so um, lots of fond memories of yeah. playing hockey, up, like non-organized. Yeah. The, again, the benefit of play, right? Which for some reason seems like we're in a position now where we kind of have to push on, you know, kind of unorganized sport at time on kids, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, I mean, across the street from me, I see there's a kid that's out on his driveway taking shots on the net all the time and stuff like that. But you don't really, like, I remember also sometimes playing on the street and there'd be a car coming. You'd have to pull the nets off the street and let them go by. Exactly. And I don't, yeah, I don't really see that as much anymore when I'm driving around. I don't interfere and um, or interrupt a, a street hockey game. So it's kind of too bad. Um, Dad, did he coach you? No, no, he was never a coach. He, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, I don't think he coached any of us, but, um, but he was just, he's a huge sport fan. And he just loved taking us out to like, like I said, like to learn how to skate and, um, um, and then different things. Like he was actually, uh, he was a drag racer at one point. And so he loves cars. (laughs) Yeah. I remember when I was very, very young, 
we used to travel around the States a little bit for his competitions. And, um, and so, and it was called the funny car, the long ones. Yep. I think that's absolutely yeah. the nitro funny yeah. cars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he did, um, in the NHRA. And so, um, so we'd kind of travel around a little bit with that. And so he's always loved cars and, and he raced snowmobiles too. So we always grew up with snowmobiles and then, um, ended up getting some dirt bikes and he'd like, he'd always like take us out like Sundays after church. I remember we'd go to, there's like these gravel pits and we'd take our dirt bikes out there and, and go riding. And he just loved being outside and he loved being with us. Like he was just very involved with our lives. Yeah, You know what the bizarre part about that, Cindy, is that Shirley Muldowney is the first women athlete I ever remember. Like, and she was, you know, she was a, a she was a, a nitro car racer too. Like that was the first time I ever. Oh, there's a woman athlete. There's Shirley Mo Downey. Like that, <laughs> it's great. You were never tempted to become her. <laughs> no, no. Um, no. I like dirt biking and okay. snowmobile stuff, but yeah, um, never. And I love go kart racing right now. Like, I mean, as I got older, I love going out and doing that, but just for fun. So it was more, uh, more the hockey. That was kind of, that was my main interest. Okay. So hockey in the winter or hockey all year round? What was it for you growing up? It's, it started off as hockey only in the winter. And then as I got older, there was more and more throughout the summer. I mean, nothing like they do now, Yeah, but there would be like a couple of hockey schools that I'd be going to just to get prepared for tryouts in the fall. And then as I got older, there was, I think there was like maybe a, one or two years where I'd be playing on a team in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, it, but that was kind of later on when I got a bit older. And then in the summer, um, I played soccer, like started off with soccer. Um, I tried baseball, but um, I can't throw a ball. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. <laughs> Anything up body, I'm super bad at. Even in hockey, like my shot was the worst. Like I was always better at skating. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also uh, started playing field lacrosse when I got older, and that was that was a blast. I really like that. Yeah, that that's one that's really beginning to pick up a lot of steam right now, you know. And and, and is it in the women's side too? Because I played women's field lacrosse, and yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's, yeah. My my our friend, our mutual uh, sport Calgary friend Jeff Snyder, friend of mine, uh, runs Elevate Lacrosse, and. They are pumping a lot of Calgary girls into NCAA colleges because they're they're looking for for lacrosse players. So it's really it's really picking up. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Uh, do they still have to wear skirts? No. <laughs> no. I I I I'd like to think we've evolved somewhat. <laughs> that was one thing that was kind of holding me back. I'm like, I have to wear a skirt to play this, but it was worth it. Um. What was your hockey experience like? Because you mentioned you played, you know, kind of before the onset of, of all the, you know, of the female programs and the elite programs for girls, you know, playing with boys up until 16. Was it a positive experience? Was it an enjoyable experience? Would you do it again, I guess? Cool. Good question. Would I do it again? I think I would because I, I love the sport. Um, every team that I was on, it was awesome. Like mm. the coach were great, super supportive, the um, my teammates were super supportive. Um, as I got older, though, the hard part was some of the athletes on the other teams weren't as positive about having a girl in the league. And so I just remember sometimes it would be tough, like going to the hockey schools in the summer because all of a sudden I wasn't with my team anymore. And so I was with um, hockey players from around the city yeah. and always being so nervous about like, how are they going to treat me? Are they going to accept me because I'm a girl? And I, I knew I was always going to be, or usually I'd only be the, be the only girl at these hockey camps. And so that was, that was tough. It was pretty stressful um, going through that. But, um, but in the end, like my team was always awesome, super positive. And I feel like I learned so much from the coaches that we had. They mm-hmm. really taught hard work and discipline. And um, I, I just think that I've learned so many life lessons that helped me um, as I went into speed skating and I, and so I'm grateful for that. And, and I had a lot of fun. Like it was, I, I love the the sport of hockey. It'll probably always be one of my favorite sports. And so, um, I, I definitely would do it again. Yeah. And and again, I'm not Cindy. I'm not trying to dig up any dirt, but I think it's, it's interesting when you did it, you know, I, I've had the same conversation with Cassie about th- there was no accommodations then there was no 
extra room or anything like that. I can only imagine some of the the things you had to do to get ready for a game or to dress or stuff like that, right? Yeah, well, you know what? As I got so until I was about fourteen or fifteen, I was actually still sharing. Uh, I think fifteen it changed. No, sorry, maybe it was fourteen it changed, and then um, they would usually put me in like the refs' change room or something like that, or they'd yeah. have something, some place for me to change that wasn't. It might not have been as bad as uh, what Cassie experienced. Like she was probably changing in the hallway or her car. Janitor's or, rooms know. and stuff like that. Yeah. Sorry? Janitor's rooms, you know what I mean? Like closets and things like that. It's crazy. So I think I may have been a little bit more fortunate, but gotcha. um, but yeah, it, it just wasn't the norm back then to have a girl playing in a guy's league. You played till 16. What, did you have to end on your own or did you, how did that work? So I, um, when, yeah, when I turned 16, like the guys were just getting too big for me gotcha. with the body check stuff like that and um it was just getting a little bit too dangerous and so um I decided that and my parents I think my parents suggested like maybe you should switch to um girls hockey but the thing is is there wasn't any girls hockey at that time (laughs) so there was a women's league so I ended up um playing in a women's league for a few years um they had like the worst ice times like be playing at like sometimes like 10 11 o'clock at night and then the next day having to go to school and so it was kind of tough but um but it was still a place to play hockey and um and there's some good hockey to be played there so you're you know peter's out there when did when do you find when do you find speed skating when does long track find you or do you find long track so I, I was kind of hoping to make it to the Olympics in women's hockey. Like from a pretty young age, we found out, my parents found out that women's hockey was going to be in the Olympics in 98 for the very first time. So that was kind of my goal right. um, throughout my hockey years to make it to the women's team. And then in 97, the year before the Olympics, they had some tryouts throughout Canada um, I think maybe three different spots and what they were doing was they were going to pick five players that could, um, that, that like they were picking a goalie, two defensemen, three forwards from these tryouts of, I don't know how many, like hundreds of people were trying out Right. and they would pick the five. And in that fall, those five would come to Calgary and train with the national team and then see if they can beat out one of the national team players to m- go onto the Olympic team. And so I went to one of those tryouts in 97 and I thought it had gone really well. I felt like this is my opportunity. And then upon arriving home from in Winnipeg, I found out I hadn't made the cut. And so, um, so I was kind of, I was devastated. Like mm. I felt like I've worked so hard all these years for this goal and, and to not have it um, come to fruition was, was pretty tough on me. And my plan was like, I was hoping that I'd be moving to Calgary. I was I had just graduated from high school, so I was going into my first year of university, and my plan was to go to the UFC for university and then play hockey there. But then when I didn't make it, I thought, you know, I'll just stay in Winnipeg a little bit longer, be around my family, and start going to the University of Manitoba, and then hopefully I can make it to the Olympics in 2002 and improve okay. enough to qualify for that. Yeah. So I was going to the University of Manitoba, still playing in the women's league, and I was used to, like in high school, I was playing a ton of sports like basketball, volleyball, badminton, all of those other school sports. And all of a sudden, all I had was hockey and I needed something else to do. And so my parents suggested speed skating because I was a pretty strong skater in hockey. And my first reaction to them was like, absolutely not, because there's no way I was going to put on one of those tight skin suits. (laughs) And then the long blades, like they just look funny to me. And so I said no, and but they kept pushing it and pushing it, and they had a connection at one of the local clubs. They knew one of the coaches there, yeah. and so finally I gave in. I said, "Okay, I'll make them happy. I'll go to one practice and just see what it's like." So I went to that first practice, and I remember going there thinking, "Like this is going to be just like hockey, but faster because the blades are so long." And so I stepped onto the ice for the first time, and I could barely stand up on the blades. Like, they're so awkward to use, and the blade is a lot narrower than a hockey skate. So there I was, like, 18 years old, trying to get around the ice surface, and, like, little five-year-old kids are flying past me. And it was just a very, very humbling experience that first time on ice. Um, But then 
I don't know why this happened, but I thought my parents said my first time coming home after that practice, um, they said I was pretty quiet and they thought like, oh, for sure, she's going to just give it up. And for some reason, I went back for another practice and another practice. And like it wasn't long before I was hooked on the sport. And I think that like, A, it was the people that were so welcoming, mm-hmm. which, which is huge because, I mean, I was terrible. I was 18 years old. It's not like they needed to pay any attention to me. It's not like I was going to go anywhere. And then um, the other thing was I kind of liked the challenge. And I realized like after being on the ice for maybe an hour or so, I was kind of like picking it up a little bit. And yeah. then each I went to, I got a little bit better and improved. And I just kind of liked the challenge of seeing like what I could do. And um, and then, I mean, this I would have never told anybody this at the time, but that first year of skating was the 97, 98 year and so i remember watching the 1998 olympics and being glued to the television not for hockey but for watching speed skating sure. and i remember seeing um katrina lemay doan win gold and then susan ock who's from winnipeg win silver and i just thought to myself like you know what i want to be there one day too and i never told anybody that but that was kind of like when it kind of sunk in like i i want to see if i can pursue speed skating just take me back to your parents' role in this, Cindy. And th- and the reason is, as you're probably aware, there's a lot of research now about the importance of the drive home, that conversation in the car on the way home. They they, they were after you to do something. They wanted you to try this, but it sounds the way you explained it. It's not like they were, you know, kind of harping on you or anything. What were? How did they handle this? How did? What did they do to kind of foster this? Uh, you know. One thing that was good was they kind of like stayed out of the way after mm-hmm. I'd, I was going to keep going to practices and stuff like that. Um, I mean, they kind of, they kind of pushed me to get, to just like go and try it for the first time. Like they said, like, I don't have anything to lose. Like just go and give it a shot. If I don't like it, then I can give it up. And then after that, they didn't push it or anything. They didn't say like, oh, are you going to go back to another practice or anything? They let me decide that. And um, they, they also kind of stayed hidden because apparently I, I vaguely remember this now, but I didn't want them to come out and see me skate because I felt like I was so bad at it at the beginning. And when I had my very first race, apparently they snuck in to watch me race because I, I didn't want them to be there. I was just, I, I think I was like too embarrassed with how I was doing at that time. But, um, but they, but they kind of, yeah, they just like let me handle it let me figure yeah. out if this, the way I wanted to go. And, and when I did make that decision, um, I decided after my first year of skating, uh, one of my coaches came up to me and she said like, you know, you, you're doing, you're improving quite a bit. Um, why don't you try? Cause I was still playing hockey at the time. She mm-hmm. said, why don't you up hockey for a year and just see what you can do in speed skating. And, um, I, I decided I'd do it. I'd do it for one year just to see how it goes. And apparently I found out from someone else like a number of years down the road, but apparently that was like kind of heartbreaking for my dad because he wanted me to still be a hockey player. I think he just thought that speed skating would be something I could supplement with hockey. Yeah. And so he was a little bit heartbroken, but he never told me that. I never, ever in the slightest thought that he was kind of disappointed that I gave up hockey. And, uh, and then after he realized like, what an awesome sport speed skating is and uh, how much I was enjoying it. Then he, uh, he came around and, and he was pretty excited that I chose speed skating. Sounds like you had pretty good parents. Like it sounds from a sport and you know, and I both know this, that they could be such a detriment, right? And in some cases, it sounds like your parents were just right spot on for you. Yeah. Yeah. They're just so supportive. And I mean, I didn't mention my mom because she, she was, she loved, too she absolutely loves it she loves coming out to watch and stuff like that but she just wasn't as active as as my dad was like in terms of like being out there playing hockey with us because she never grew up playing hockey or anything um but uh, she was a hundred percent beside behind us all the time and our biggest fans like she came to um, all of the games and practices just like my dad did and so um she was a huge support as well you mentioned that you know you're watching the games in '98 that are, I believe, that's Nagano. Um, yeah. So and clearly you're going to pay attention to the, the long track. But before that, when did you go from okay, I'm doing this to 
Yeah, I don't mind this. I like this. There's something here. When do you remember that moment? Was there, you know, that kind of moment in time where I go, eh, this is not bad. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably it was probably like a month or two into okay. it. I think that um, I was really starting to figure it out, and because I mean, hockey you push more to the back, and speed skating you push to the side, and it's a lot about weight transfer. And, um, it's so like the stride is so much different than hockey. And I think, I think like around like a couple months in, like I, I really started to enjoy it and it felt like things were starting to click. Um, and then also that was probably about the same time that we started skating outdoors because in Winnipeg, we only have natural ice for long track speed skating Mm -hmm. and start our season doing short track, which is in a hockey rink. And then about, in December, late December, they get the ice ready for um, long track ice. And uh, the ice has to be pristine for long track skating. So we only get it in Winnipeg, even though it's like brutally cold in the winter. Yeah. We only get for like a couple of months or so. And um, I just remember getting onto the ice there and um, and just loving being on the long track ice and thinking like I, I prefer long track racing more than short track. Um, but the one thing that I had an issue with was that, so I was just renting skates because I wasn't going to buy a pair yet. And so for long track, um, the blades are a lot different and the boots a lot different. And the, the boots that they had at that time that you rented out, they're very like kind of flimsy in the ankle support. And so going from hockey where you have that strong, those boots, like lots of ankle support. And I wouldn't even like tape my ankles when I played hockey um going to these long track skates it was it was tough like I had a hard time like with the ankle support so I ended up staying on my short track skates throughout that year on the long track ice until like until the next season when I ended up buying my own pair that had a bit more support and felt a bit better and and they're also the new ones that I bought myself for clap skates because the whole in 98 um that's kind of like when the whole world switched to clap skates where the ice blade stays on the ice a little bit longer and then kind of claps back. Um, so that was a, that was a transition for me too. You, you just kind of said it in passing, but short track, long track, it was never an issue. You never had to sit down and have a long conversation or thought about what, which one I'm going to go to. No, short track is too scary for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, I mean, the thing I liked about long track was that you have your own lane. It's all like yeah. kind of, you don't have to worry about any jostling or anything like that or any other skaters touching you. And so I just found that the long track was a bit more suited for me. And I think technically, because I wasn't a very good technical skater, I think that that helped me in long track too, that I think in short track, it was just, it was too tough for me. Like taking those corners um, Mm -hmm. are, they're a lot sharper when you're skating short track than in a long track um, on a long track oval. And so I think for me, the long track ice just suited me better, and and for my uh, for the technical part of it as well. So a couple more on this one. Coach says, you know, if you just take hockey, if you just take a year off from hockey, you know, see what happens. How big a difference did that decision make? How how did you kind of right away get the benefit of that? I think so. Um, and also, just a, a funny story, just to backtrack. It was also speed skating and playing hockey at the same time was also affecting my hockey game. And so I didn't tell anybody that I was speed skating. Like the only people that knew were the people at skating. So yeah. I didn't tell anybody in hockey that I was doing this. And I remember our team was going into playoffs and all of a sudden, like I started like falling when I normally wouldn't. Like I'm skating back. I was a defenseman and I'm skating backwards. I'm falling and my coaches are like, what is going on with her? And so finally I had to tell them that I was speed skating and like the difference in the blades, I think mm-hmm. was just kind of. And so before, just as we we're going to playoffs, then my coach took me out for a practice one day, like on an outdoor rink. He's like, Hey, we're just practicing skating and you're not allowed to speed skate while we're in the playoffs. And so, <laughs> uh, so it was affecting my hockey game. But, um, but when I went, switched to sweet speed skating, like just, just solely speed skating, um, I think it made a huge difference because I didn't have to think about um, think about going back and forth and transitioning like that. And um, and then also it just meant that I had more time to focus on training for speed skating outside of being on the ice. And so doing things like dry land activities and stuff like that, um, it was 
it was all speed skating and there was no more hockey, no more taking shots on the driveway or anything yep. like that. It was speed skating. So you, you grew up in a fairly large family. You play a lot of road hockey. You're playing hockey and playing soccer, dabble in baseball, lacrosse. Now you're a speed skater. Now you're in an individual sport as opposed to team sports. How was that transition for you? It was, it was actually not bad. Like I, I actually enjoyed playing or being in a sport where whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so when you're on a team sport, it's up to the whole team to come together and then do their best. Whereas in speed skating, you still have that team around you because you're training together and you're pushing each other, encouraging each other and stuff like that. But when it comes down to you racing on the line, it's basically how much um, work and effort you put into the sport yourself is what you're going to get out of it. And so I kind of enjoyed that transitioning from a team sport where I learned all about those um, those skills of being on, a part of a team and then switching to uh, an individual sport. And um, because then also like um, going, it was all on me, like whether I wanted to do extra training at home and stuff like that, I knew that it was all resting on my shoulders, whether I wanted to, um, if I wanted to improve and do my best. Uh, just a reminder that not sure what sports are provided in Calgary sports, Calgary sports directory, help you find the sport and sport organizations that are right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. So in 98, you're watching the Olympics. Now you're in now speed skating's your sport. Cindy, when, when do the Olympics come on the horizon? When does representing your country, when do you feel like all of a sudden you're going from, you know, a novice to now getting into that elite stream? So what I did was in my second year of skating, when I decided to just focus on speed skating, I kind of made a deal with myself that I was still young enough to try out for the Canada games. And so I thought, okay, I'll go, I'll try out for the Canada games. If I make it to the games, then I'm going to move in the third year of skating, I'll move out to Calgary and pursue speed skating full time because Calgary was kind of like, I mean, it still is like where the national team yeah. is based up and you have the indoor oval, the Olympic oval. And so um, it's the best ice in the world. And so you have to move there pretty much. Um, and so that season, um, doing all my training, going to like different competitions stuff and stuff like that. And all of a sudden I found out like I was in the running to make the junior national team. And so I went to Calgary, had my final races there for the junior national team, and I ended up qualifying for it. So I went to the junior worlds in Norway and to my surprise, I ended up winning a gold and a bronze medal there. And so then it kind of like that solidified it for me. It didn't matter. Like I had made the Canada games team as well, but um, it was kind of, that was what did it for me. That made me think like, okay, maybe I, I, I can get somewhere in this sport. And so um, after that, I decided that I would move to Calgary and, and pursue it full time. So, so two, three years, like when, in my, from in when you second. started to when you went to Norway, how long was that? That was my second year. Second year. <laughs> Which it was just like wow. it, going out there to Norway. Um, I was kind of like at a loss. Like I didn't even know kind of what was going on. Like it was, sure. it was so new. Didn't really know um, my teammates just because like they had all grown up together, even though they're from different provinces, they would come together and compete against each other a few times throughout the year. And so for me, it was like all these new people, new faces, and then traveling to Europe on top of that. And um, I think that, those races like it was just it was pure grunt work like because I think my technique was still pretty bad at that time but it was just like pure like just being a workhorse and doing the best that I can with that so it really it surprised me I one thing I've never understood about your sport is how one finds their distance and what their how did you how do you find your distance as a, as a long track athlete you know uh, where you know where you best fit how does that process happen so i don't i don't know if it works the same way that it worked for me just because i started the sport so late hmm. but when i moved to calgary um i had been doing at the junior worlds you do i think it was like 500 1000 meter 1500 and 3000 meter and then when you're a senior skater, you're doing, um, for women, it could be 500,000, 1,500, 3,000, or the 5K is the longest race. And so when I moved to Calgary, I kind of wanted to be a sprinter. And maybe just because it's a short race, it's done fast. <laughs> uh, I And you don't hurt as much. 
but I wanted to be a sprinter. So initially I was in kind of like a middle distance group and then I switched to the sprint group and we ended up um, going to Butte, Montana for a competition. It was called Can-Am at the time. I'm not sure if it's still the same, but when we were there, then I asked my coach for some reason, I'm like, Hey, can I try the 3000 meter? And so I did it and I ended up actually having a decent time when I was racing it. And then when we came back to Calgary, we had another competition and there was the 5,000 meter. And I said, my coach was like, why don't you try the 5,000? And so I thought, well, what do I have to lose? Like, I'll just try it. And then I ended up having a good time in there. And so after that, I kind of realized like I stayed in the sprint group, but I was still doing um, programs for more like middle distance and long distance. And then as I continued to compete, it kind of like, I kind of learned through that, like that I was, um, better suited to be a middle distance to long distance skater than like the 500. I was just too slow off the start. I wasn't, I don't have those fast twitch muscles like everybody, all the sprinters have. So, um, so that's kind of how I learned what I was good at. So you come back from Norway, you've won some medals, you're in Calgary, you're still fairly new. I mean, your head must be spinning a little bit. Who's, who's in your ear right now? Who's helping you? Who's mentoring you? Uh, well, I mean, there was a number of athletes that I really looked up to. I mean, Susan Ock was one of them for sure. Yep. Um, Winnipeg, like I really looked up to her and, and she was just so supportive and helpful and like gave me a lot of like different tidbits and, and help and, and support. And so she was definitely one of them. Um, my coaches, I definitely like looked to them for that guidance and support um, because the coaches that I had, they had all been speed skaters themselves. And so I learned a lot from their experiences. Um, my One of my first coaches was Maura Deandra, and she's now Maura Marshall, but she was from the States, and she competed for the Americans, and just learning a lot of stories from her. Um, one of my heroes was Eric Hyden, who mm-hmm. he won five medals in the 1980 Olympics, and so just like learning from her about um, things that he did and like his coach and stuff like that. Um, it was just, uh, it was very inspiring. Just, uh, you know what? I was inspired by everybody I came across just because I was so new to it and, yeah. and knew that anybody that I was around, they had had so much more experience in the sport than me. And so I just felt like I got inspired by everybody around me. When do you find out when, when, when do you know that you're going to Salt Lake in the 2002 games, a mere four years after you're watching on TV and, and hooked on it. Now you're going to be part of, of that. When did you find out? How did you find out? So I ended up qualifying ahead of time. Um, we just had like some pre-qualifications uh, just based off of how you've been doing throughout the season. And so I found out earlier, I can't remember exactly when I found out, but um, it was earlier in the season before we actually had Olympic trials. So there were still some spots left like for the Olympic trials that people could qualify for the team. Yeah. But I found earlier and so um I just I just remember thinking that year like I I couldn't believe that I was actually going to be going to the Olympics and and thinking that like they're going to be in Salt Lake City it almost felt like it was at home because it's in North America it's so close to Canada that my um, friends and family can come down if they want to and so um it was just a surreal feeling thinking that I'm actually going and and thinking that it's in speed skating. Like I never in a million years would have thought I'd be a speed skater. If someone would have told me that growing up, I would have said no way. And uh, it was uh, very surreal. Um, what were, when you go, what, what's your mindset at that point, Cindy, Are, are you going, this is cool. I just got into it here. I'm going, or are you going with the mindset? No, I'm, I'm here to win. I'm going to, I'm going to be on the podium. I mean, in the back of my mind, I thought maybe there's a chance just because of how I had been doing leading up to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had um, hit the podium a few times in international competition. And so I thought, you know what, there, there is a chance. Um, a nice thing that we did was our um, federation ended up renting some condos right by the oval, like by the track. And so we ended up going there for some camps beforehand just to get used to the ice there because it's a lot different than any other ice surfaces we were racing on. And it kind of like, it felt comfortable going there. Um, But then once the Olympics hit, it's like 
everything is transformed. Like the oval is completely different, like just the way that they set it up and with all the media and stuff like that. And so it's, uh, it's pretty nerve wracking. Like once you get, or at least for me, it was, I was, I was extremely nervous. Like I remember the few days, like leading up to my first race, I remember not being able to eat very much. I couldn't, my sleep was terrible just because I was so nervous because to me it felt all of a sudden I'm going to be competing in the biggest race of my life. And it felt like the whole world was going to be watching. So I was really nervous. And I remember the night before my very first race, uh, my coach, Maura, she took me out to McDonald's to go get like a quarter pounder and a milkshake and stuff just to get some comfort food in me because she was worried because I just wasn't, wasn't eating enough. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but then I remember the morning of, of my first race, I remember waking up and kind of checking my emails while I was, while I was, um, killing time. And I got this email from my former high school and it was just a bunch of messages from like the staff and the students. And they said that they're just praying for me and they want me to do the best that I can. And, and then it just kind of like, it just hit me like those, the nerves kind of went away. Cause I thought, you know what, I've done all the preparation. Um, I've done the best that I could to get here. All I have to do is race my heart out and that's all anybody can ask of me. And so it kind of like took the nerves away from that. That's, that's amazing. So now you're in it. Um, what happens because it's, you're part of a team, but it's not a team sport. How aware are you of what's going on around you with some of your team members? And you know, what's, what are you seeing? What are you, you know, what's fo- what's your focus? Uh, I mean, I tried to just like focus on my own races and I didn't go to the oval more than I had to just Mm -hmm. because I knew kind of, it it, it can be draining. Like you're there and there's all these people, like spectators just like screaming and excited and, and then watching your teammates race, like you get emotional and you get excited for them because you, you want them to do well. And so I ended up not watching too many other races. I, just watched on TV back at the condo. Um, and I, yeah, I just, uh, I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get kind of depleted before my races and get kind of overwhelmed, I guess. And so, um, I sort of just kind of focused on my own races and took it one day at a time because I was competing in four different races there. And so it was kind of, it was spread out throughout the whole games with my last race being, I think it was the second last day Mm -hmm. and to make sure that, I was focused on what I was there for and they knew that after my last race, then I can just relax and, and enjoy. So we'll skip ahead and give away the ending. You win a bronze. Um, yeah. What, what, what was that like? <laughs> it was, it was unreal. Like I, 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 I mean, I was at the back of my mind, I always thought maybe there's a chance I could win a medal, but I didn't think it was in my very first race too of those games. And so, um, I couldn't believe it. Like yeah. I, that standing on the podium, I was seeing the Canadian flag being raised and that I had a bronze medal around my neck. Like I just, and my family was there too. And like, um, just being able to, uh, think back on all the hard training I had done and all the people who had been there for me and just what a journey it had been. And so it was, it was very exciting. And your, your sport is one of those ones too, that you win the bronze medal. Right. Like, you know, you win gold, you win bronze. You I mean, you, you earn the medal sort of thing. It's not uh, you know what I mean? Like when Canada beats the U.S., they win the gold and the U.S. lost the game and they get the silver. This is you're you're earning that medal. Like that's got to feel awesome. Yeah. 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 It's, it was incredible. I mean, I remember watching. Uh, well, in my race, I, I specifically remember my race, too. I was racing against the world record holder, um, Claudia <laughs> Peckstein from Germany. And so I remember the gun sounded and I just took off like as hard as I could. It was a 3000 meters. So seven and a half laps. And I just remember going really hard and I was actually ahead of her. And I thought to myself like, wow, I can't believe it. I'm ahead of the world record holder. <laughs> and it was probably around that time where I just felt like I hit the wall. Yeah. And all of a sudden I felt like my energy stores were being depleted. And I was just like, just struggling to get my legs to keep moving. And I remember coming around that very last corner and to me, it seemed like she was just miles ahead of me. I saw her like, crossing the finish line. I could hear the crowd erupting because I th- I believe she broke the world record. Like I think it was a big. It was the fastest time of the day for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I was just thinking to myself, like, don't fall, just keep moving, keep moving. Yep. And thinking like, well, 
in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I'm too far behind. Like, I'll, I must be like way off of her time. And when I crossed the finish line, then I looked at the leaderboard and saw my name was in second place. And I thought like, wow, I actually, I actually have a shot here. And I think there was maybe one more pair left. And there were, and so two people could have beat me in that race and bumped me off the podium, right. but only one ended up beating me. And, uh, and so I ended up with a bronze medal and I just like, yeah, it, it was just surreal. I couldn't believe it. So you come home, you're now an Olympian, you're a medalist and you're starting another four year quadrennial. Um, how, how are you different as an athlete starting that quadrennial as you were, which I'm not even sure you knew you were starting a quadrennial because you were starting the sport brand new, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that I had a lot more confidence yeah. going forward and just because I knew like I had been there, I had done that and I thought, you know what, let's see if we can build on this. And so, um, those four years I was just thinking about, as I was building up to the next Olympics, my thought system was like, let's see if I can do better than I did in the 2002 Olympics. And that was kind of just my goal was, uh, those four years, the goal was, all it was was Torino was getting to 2006 to Torino and um, I mean little goals along the way like world Mm -hmm. championship but my eyes were only set on Torino how did you how did you how were you different in your preparation how were you different in your training how if I if we watch sat and watched a, a video of you skating you know in 2002 and then late 2005 in preparation for Torino how much of a difference would there have been in you I think uh I mean, technically there would have been a big difference, but, um, I think mentally, I think I was just that much more mentally tough and just thinking like, this is it. Like, I know that there's other people out there training as hard or harder than me. I need to try to train harder than them. Mm -hmm. And I need every, every lap, every stride, I need to make it count. And so I think that I just, uh, I was probably more serious. Um, but I also tried to have a lot more fun too. Mm -hmm. And really, because I knew that the, that I skated my best when I was having fun. And so, I mean, that 2005, 2006 season, um, we had a pretty small group. There's about six of us and my coach was Neil Marshall. And he was just, uh, he, he worked us to the ground. Like he worked us so hard and he made sure that every, every training session counted, but he also, knew how important it was like for us to have fun and he him and our sports like Derek Robinson they're they're pretty tight and they just they really built everything around like doing everything for the season for the Olympics but also like making sure that we were growing as people not just as athletes but that we were growing in our personal lives as well and and having a lot of fun with it too. What was the what were the expectations like for you, or what what not expectations, but the pressure of expectation? What was that like going into those games? Um, I, you know, I, I felt a bit of pressure like going in, like because I ended up all of a sudden now I was starting to have like more interviews and stuff like that because yeah. I was more on the radar, and so I think that that built up some pressure within me. Um, but I really tried to avoid watching any news or reading any newspapers or anything like that, because I just didn't want to hear about it. I just mm-hmm. wanted to go games, enjoy it and do the best that I can, but not add any extra pressure to myself than I had to. How do you, how do you reflect on 2006? I mean, one gold, a couple silver, a couple bronze in there, five medals. I mean, I don't have to tell you how unique that is for a Canadian athlete. Uh, it's very special, obviously. But and it's funny you mentioned Eric Hayden before did that in 1980. Um, what are your What are your memories? What do you take away from your time in Torino? Torino was it was a bit of a blur. Like it just it happened so fast because um, I was racing one after another, mm. like it, like five races. So didn't really get much time to breathe in between each race. Um, my family was there, which was awesome because after each race or actually the day after each race, I would go out for dinner with them and just spend some time with them and just relax a little bit. And my coach kind of like, let me have like that time to like, just enjoy it. And then it's like, Hey, you got to refocus and get ready for the next race. And you can't think about the races behind you. And so for me, it was always looking forward and always like, about like, 
getting ready for the next race? How am I going to be mentally prepared and stuff like that? And um, to tell you the truth, like going into my best race there, which was the 1500 where I ended up winning a gold medal. Um, the day before I remember going out into the practice, cause I had just raced the, I think I had just raced the thousand meter before that. And just something kind of felt off. Like I, I, I didn't feel like my skating was, I wasn't on as well as I could be. And so I remember sitting, um, talking to my coach about it and saying like, something feels a bit off. And so he thought about it for a while. And then he's like, I know what we got to do. We got to work you really hard the day before the race. And so the practice, like the day before we raced, I was on the ice and he had me doing like some pretty hard intervals. And I remember another coach came up to me afterwards and cause I was like the last skater on the ice and, and he's like, what are you doing? Like, aren't you racing tomorrow? And, but the thing that my coach, like he looked back on all of my racing and he realized that when we went to world cups, like the second day of um, competition was all, I always did better after I had a lot of intensity in me the day before. And so he worked me into the ground that, that day. And then the next day, um, when I went to race the 1500, it just, everything clicked. I felt like back to like how I had been before. And, um, I just had the best race of my life. Um, another thing, to, another side note about that race, which was really, really special for me was, um, was, so what you do when you, when you go into a competition, um, you're say if you're racing at 2 PM, then you might get on the ice like around 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or earlier in the day just to kind of get a feel for the ice and you don't do anything like very hard, like maybe a couple yeah. of accelerators, stuff like that. Um, so I was on the ice then and they opened the doors for the spectators. And when these people started coming in, I saw this kid come in with a Canadian flag and he was like running across the stands, waving it. And I thought like, Hey, I'm going to go talk to that kid after I'm done my intro or done my accelerations and stuff. So I went over to the side and I called him down and he told me that, he had come out to Italy with his dad, like they're from Toronto and they, but their background was Italian. And so they had come out to watch the Olympics and he showed me his flag and he had some athletes from the Canadian team had signed it. And so I signed the flag for him too. And after I walked away, I just, or skated away, I just thought to myself, I want to show this kid like how much fun the sport of speed skating is. And so he was my inspiration that day. And I remember going, going up to the line at the start of that race and just thinking like, this is fun. Like I'm going to have so much fun. And the race was kind of a blur to me. Like it just, it just, everything kind of clicked. And then after it was over, I ended up winning the gold medal and I was standing on the podium and I got my flowers and I ended up going over to the side to kind of where the kid was. And I kind of pointed up to him and the spectators, like they took it and passed the flowers up to him. And so it was kind of neat being able to like connect with him that wow. way. Years later in 2014, like I was, I hadn't made the Olympic team. I was watching it on TV. I was at a friend's place in Toronto and that kid who was then, um, graduating, for, he had graduated from high school. He was in university. Um, he reached out to me just out of the blue. And he's like, if you're ever in Toronto, um, give me a shout. It'd be great to meet you. And so I ended up meeting him, um, him and his parents at this coffee shop and he still had those flowers. He had dried them out and he still had them. And it was just neat thinking that like he was such an inspiration for me that day and uh, he still had that flag too and at that time it was like just littered with Canadian um, signatures and uh, it was just special to reconnect with him and thinking like well maybe I was a little bit of an inspiration to him but he was a huge inspiration for me that day wow that is a fantastic story holy cow um Answer. <laughs> no, I love it. It's it's that that sport, right? That's what sports. Yeah. It's not supposed to be about million dollar contracts. It's not supposed to be about documentaries. It's supposed to be about human connections and inspiring, and and especially the Olympics, where it's about your country too. That I mean, it's, it's the perfect Olympic story, Cindy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really special. Like I'll never yeah. ever forget that. And, uh, he really inspired me that day, and. Uh, and I have him to thank for part of that gold medal for sure. Not to, to gloss over anything, but to kind of skip ahead to 2010, speaking of neat Canadian moments, uh, you have the unique honor of being immortalized on money. Um, tell, tell me about the quarter. Yeah, that's right. 
it's crazy that uh, they have me speed skating on, I don't know how many quarters, but it's, I mean, never in my wildest dreams <laughs> did I ever think that would happen, but it's so cool. It's such an honor and uh, very, very special for me. Yeah, and to me, what I like the most about, and there's lots of things I should mention that, well, and I'll get, no, actually, you know, I'll come back to this one in a second. What I like about your story, too, and why I think you're so important is we need to give girls, boys, young athletes the hope and the understanding that they don't have to early specialize, that they don't have to dedicate themselves. They can find a sport, and they can find that sport later in life. And the fact that almost a decade after you skated for the first time, they made a coin about you. Like, it's incredible. That's so inspirational. Oh wow! Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's so unreal. Like I like and and people will sometimes just give me the quarter, and I'll be like, oh, that's so weird. Like I, it's it's strange, but it's such an honor. But um, but like you said, like with kids, like there's I think there's a lot of pressure for kids to specialize these days, yeah. and I think that there a lot of kids are getting injuries because of that because they're just doing one thing. And I mean, I hope that. Um, if that can be an inspiration for kids or parents, like when they're looking at what their kids are going to do for sports, like that they can look at athletes who have been well-rounded, um, and have been able to be successful, um, by playing multiple sports. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that's so important and, um, and you learn different skills. You learn, I mean, me going from a team, uh, team sport to an individual sport, like there's so many things that you can pick up from both um, sides of of the sporting world. And, um, and so, um, for kids to have the opportunity to do both of those and, um, just, um, different, uh, talents and skills that are needed for different sports. I think that it's really important for, for kids to have the opportunity to try different things. Um, obviously it's a podcast about Calgary and I've got some Calgary questions for you, but I'd be remiss. Um, your six medals ties you with Clara Hughes for the most by a Canadian athlete, but both of you are from Winnipeg. You mentioned Susan Ock from Winnipeg. Um, what is it about Winnipeg with your sport? What is it about Winnipeg in the Olympics and Winnipeg and, and producing great athletes? <laughs> I think it's so cool. I mean, and Clara, I mean, I didn't know her at the time, but she yeah. grew up not that far away or we grew up not that far away from each other. Um, I guess the, a lot of people like to say with speed skating, it's just like the harsh, cold winters in Winnipeg that make us tough because we're skating outside there in those skin suits and it just makes us tougher. But, um, but one thing that I know for a fact is that the sense of community in Winnipeg is so strong. And that's one thing that I found too, when I went into speed skating, like I said earlier, like Mm -hmm. I was terrible at it and I was 18 years old and yet they treated me like I was like one of the top athletes coming in. Like they treated me just as one of their own and that sense of community and that support that I felt from um, from the athletes and the coaches, even though I was like struggling to get around the ice, uh, that was huge. And I think that that really, um, that really helps to produce great athletes and, and helps people to stay in sport because, um, having a good environment to be around, I think that's uh, conducive to people for that longevity in sport and, um, and having fun, which is the most important part of it. So which is the, the, the better or neater honor a quarter or the Cindy Clausen Rec Center, Recplex in Winnipeg. That was crazy too. I I couldn't believe it. And it's um it's at it used to be called Sergeant Park, but that's like where we speed skate, and it's at the Susan Ock Oval. And so um to have my name next to hers because Susan Ock was such an inspiration to me and good friends now uh, today. Um, it is really special for me. And so, um, I, just a huge honor and, and still strange if I ever go there seeing that, but, um, but a huge, huge honor. So a couple more for you. One, can you just talk about the platform that, you know, the Olympic success and your success as an athlete afforded you, you, you're a speaker, you, you've spoken to groups before, um, you're very good at it. We talked before about, you know, the, the challenge that we have of keeping young girls in sport, it's, you know, somebody who's, well, I got to give up hockey. I'm going to go into speed skating. I can't imagine that you thought, well, one day I'm going to have a platform and I can make a difference. But what's it like to be able to, to get out there and, and, and share your testimony, share your story? Oh, that's, 
it's so rewarding. I, I can't even explain it to you. It's just thinking that if I can go out and speak to a group of people and if I can make a difference in one person's life, like then it's worth it. And it's a tremendous honor to be able to um, tell people my story and just hope that somehow they can just like get a little bit of inspiration there um, to be their best and to pursue whatever they find like their purpose in life and to do the best that they can. And, and then also like with girls, like I just hope that, um, that I can encourage them and support them and, and just, um, inspire them to, if they're not involved in sports, maybe try it. Like just, it's not, it's worth it to give it a shot and just see if like, you're not going to know unless you try it. And, but those who are in sports to stick with it and to keep pushing through the tough times and the good times. Pure fantasy. But if you were born 10 years later, would I be interviewing uh, an Olympian and a gold medalist in hockey as opposed to speed skating? Oh, <laughs> good question. I, yikes, I have no idea. Like it, it really was just due to the circumstances like me. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. Like it's, that's a tough one. Um, I love the sport of hockey too. And yeah. so, um, going to the Olympics to represent Canada is just the ultimate, like for, for me as an athlete growing up, that was just a dream. It would have been a dream come true for me to represent Canada, um, to go compete for our nation. And so, um, so either sport would have been, would have been phenomenal, but, uh, it just wound up being in speed skating. My last one for you is I ask all of my guests, and I said we'd come back to Calgary. I am not going to give you any parameters. You can answer it any way you like, but my question for you, Cindy, is, Give me your hidden Calgary gem. Cool. <laughs> hidden Calgary gem. Um, you know what? For me, I love food. <laughs> so one of my favorite places, um, I don't live as close to it anymore, so I hardly ever get there. But one of my favorite places to go to eat while I was training was uh, Dairy Lane. Mm-hmm. And yep. Yeah, and then they also have um, another restaurant in uh, in Bridgeline and called Blue Star Diner, and basically pretty same owner um, and pretty similar menu. But uh, yeah, I I love going out for breakfast, and those two have a phenomenal breakfast. Yeah, I can't go wrong with Dairy Lane. Might have the best breakfast burrito in all of Calgary. I'm saying yes. that right now. I love it. Thank you. This was so much fun. Um, I love your story. I think your story is so important. Um, I'm glad you were able to share it with us, and, and it was just awesome to be able to spend some time with you. Cindy, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. It was great chatting with you. How cool was that? Uh, maybe the best Olympic story I've ever heard uh, right there about the young man in, in Torino, and then they meet years later and he still has those flowers that is absolutely fantastic as i mentioned so much to talk about with cindy new mom got a little bit into that but you know also she's a police officer so she's you know serving our 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 city and uh she's on the front lines and and uh and happy to do it and and really proud that she took the time to talk to is always an honor to talk to arguably canada's greatest uh, olympic athlete has to be right there in that conversation former lou marsh award winner Um, But the story that, and I cannot emphasize this enough, in a world that we seem to be so concerned about early specialization, we seem to be so concerned about kids playing 12 months in in a single sporter and all of that stuff, here's Cindy Clausen in the span of four years, starts long track speed skating, medals in the Olympics in long track speed skating. Okay? It can be done. It can be done. we got to allow people. Great story about allowing people to find their sport. So thanks to Cindy for sharing it. Um, thanks to you guys for joining. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let somebody else know. Uh, do want to thank uh, a good friend of the program. Noah's dad actually made this happen. Noah listens to all of our podcasts, and I know he's going to listen to this one, but Noah's dad, Mike, made this happen. So thanks to Mike for making this podcast happen. If you enjoyed it, go to Spotify and sign up or go to Apple Podcasts and sign up. Would love to have you be part of all of them. Um, I'm Rob Kerr. This has been the original Six Feet Conversation podcast for Sport Calgary.